This week on Black Tea, we're going to talk about things that make us happy. We're also going to talk about something that we discuss quite a bit in the Black community. Not exactly cultural appropriation, but it's like cultural appropriation adjacent, and it's hella annoying. It's called swagjacking. And then we're going to spill some tea. My name is Andre Demise. My name is Milena Williams. All this is coming up on Black Tea. Mel, I'm so happy to be here with you. <laughs> Me too. I'm really excited. First Welcome episode. to Black Tea, everybody. First episode and all that. So the way that this normally is going to go is in the first part of the show, we talk about stuff that makes us happy because frankly, in the world that we live in right now, with all of this like negative news and terrible stuff happening, I think it's important to just grab onto those little pieces of joy. Yeah. Then after that, we're going to get into our main topic, which is going to be swag jacking. And I'm really looking forward to having that conversation with Shem from Kiss92.5. And then after that, we're going to spill a little bit of tea. Sounds great. What made you happy this week? Um, it made me happy when we went for dinner and the attractive <laughs> server completely ignored you, bypassed you. Because I have a lot of respect for people that bypass men yeah. <laughs> and get straight to what they want. It, okay, so it was the, amazing. the context of this was Mel and I went to dinner. Mel and I are friends. Like, you know, I have my own family. We're not... Mel and I are not together by any way, shape, or form, but the server whose table we sat down in front of, he would not know this. Yeah, he maybe thought, yeah. It was a man and a woman that came and sat down to, to dinner together, and you had that amazing jacket, which you brought <laughs> to the studio with you. And as soon as we sat down and he handed us our menus, what did he say to you? Didn't he say, like, you look amazing or something like that? Yeah, to you. Come, <laughs> and he go, yeah, he just ignored Andre. His back was, was turned to me. He didn't have nothing to say to me. <laughs> and he was unapologetic about it. And then throughout the meal, we had our own dialogue. Because I do that a lot when I when I when with servers. I love speaking to people. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun. First of all, it was like this really chill white dude. He kind of looked like a... Imagine John B. as a hipster. You know, think with that's like, what he looked like? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, if John B. grew his hair out... And like had like a little bit of a rugged beard, like a salt and pepper beard. And his hair was... He was more like the skinny Kevin Richardson from the Backstreet Boys. Tonight. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. But he was he was a good looking dude. So he just kicked game to you the whole time <laughs> that we were having our dinner. Like he complimented awesome. your looks and talked about your sophisticated taste because you were basically choosing menu items for me. <laughs> I didn't really know what to choose. I'd never had oysters before in my life. And he had that like smooth white boy accent. Yeah, and you accused him of pretending to be black when he was speaking to you. <laughs> Listen, I, I just, I find that when white dudes who are cool speak to black people, they don't talk to us the same way that they do their peers. I felt like that was his natural voice. I don't think that was his natural accent. I mean, it was more of a presentation. If that was his natural voice, like, he was, like, trying to be cool with you, but also trying to be down with me. Like, he was talking kind of like this, and he was asking, like, hey, so what would you like to order? <laughs> what is it you see on the menu that jumps out to you? And the whole time I'm listening to him, I'm like, I, I, I want to like you, but are you putting this on for me? Or is that how you talk normally? I'll you, go back with myself. Yeah. Go back. See if uh, he'll take your number this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that made you so happy. What about you? Uh, well, my Toronto Raptors are off to the best start they have ever had as a franchise. I thought you guys said that every season. Well, because we keep getting better and better every season. Okay. So I'm I'm really I'm really happy well, about how well the Raptors are doing this season. I'm also very happy about the fact that Brampton elected its first black woman city councilor, yes. Charmaine Williams. Not altogether crazy about her platform, but frankly, I'll take what we can get in this terrible election that we just had and I'm frankly disappointed that it took until 2018 for a black woman to get elected city councilor in Brampton. But I'm going to take our victories where we can find them. 
so in the fog of all of the weird political stuff that's happening right now, we hear the word cultural appropriation fairly often. And what cultural appropriation comes across to me as is basically theft. It's stealing from a people's culture and benefiting from it, even though the people who you've stolen it from cannot benefit. But there's a different aspect to cultural appropriation that I like to call, and I think a few other people call, swaggerjacking. It is a type of cultural appropriation that is not necessarily damaging per se, but it is annoying as hell. And here to help us walk through that is my man Shem from Kiss925. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about swagjacking. Uh, I agree with your uh, definition. It's, I don't think it's as serious as cultural appropriation for the same reasons that you said. When I think of swaggerjack, I think a local example, I think Norm Kelly. Right. Oh, God. I mean, oh, that's God. somebody, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like that, yeah. That's somebody that has tweeted out things to different hip hop artists like Pusha T and Meek Mill when he was going through his whole thing with Drake. Right. And yeah. I think he was trying to adopt this sort of cool white guy, you know, um, personality to try to, you know, uh, relate to the young people. And I think he was just trying to copy our style, let's just mm-hmm. say, and our sort of swag and our culture as ways to relate to it. And I think that's what swagger jacking is. I don't think it, I think it's more of a cool thing as opposed to doing something that's uh, meant to damage a culture. But I think that we need to realize that people make money off of this. It's a commodity. So sure. we are being damaged if things are being stolen from us. Norm's a great example because he definitely um, had a bigger platform when he started um, connecting himself. You know, Drake was also connecting himself to Norm as well. Um, but Norm was also, you know, voting against a lot of things that were anti-black at well, let's, city council. For Okay, so for listeners who may not be familiar with, with oh, yeah, Norm no, Kelly, no. who, by the way, I'm very thankful was in, he was voted out of city council. <laughs> Thanks very much, Toronto voters. Hey. Um, Norm Kelly is a longtime city councillor that has been on the much more on the conservative side. And during the Rob Ford years, he was uh, something of a Rob Ford ally. And I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but... When remember when Meek Mill had that Twitter beef with Drake, yeah, and he was upset that Drake, I guess, hadn't tweeted about his album, but then Meek was going to come perform in Toronto. For some reason, Norm Kelly found himself in the midst of that where he he basically said like, "Hey, Meek, you're not allowed yeah, here. He said, you're, yeah, you're not allowed here. Don't yeah. come after our boy and so on." And then Meek responded, "Hey, white man, you can't <laughs> talk to me like that." And then he he found himself in like he he got pulled into the gravitational orbit of this whole Drake and Meek drama. But then out of that, he became sort of like the cool white uncle selling t-shirts and showing up at hip-hop concerts and he was actually on the screen at ovo fest when drake did the uh the back-to-back song that 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 powerpoint presentation that he yeah. had <laughs> yeah that's what i like to call it it was a powerpoint presentation yeah. Yeah. so yeah. then so then norm ends up becoming just like the the cool safe white dude but in a sense we do sort of invite people into the culture and what often happens is they end up taking advantage and the things that they benefit from are the things that we get punished for. For example, braids, i.e. the Jenners. Right. Oh, right. Kylie Jenner. Wearing yeah. what they call boxer braids, which are just cornrows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is black women would wear that, say, that hairstyle to work and then be punished for it. Sure. You know, there was a, um, a young lady who worked uh, for Zara in Scarborough. And she wore not boxer braids. Like, she didn't wear the cornrows. She wore box braids, the, the protective style box braids to work. She was taken aside, told by her manager that it's not the clean professional look that Zara is looking for, uh, and she ended up quitting her job. You know, and, and she's she filed a complaint with the Human Rights Commission saying that, you know, she shouldn't be punished for the way that she wears her hair to work. That's just as a you know somebody who identifies as black. That's just her hair. Unfortunately, I think 
there are different rules, as we know, for different people, right? Like, right. we can't get away with doing certain things, but white people can. Let's just be fair, right? Like, they, they absolutely can. They how they hold the power. That's why a guy like Norm Kelly can tweet Drake lyrics when you know it's not him. It's his, it's his young little intern that's doing yeah. it, right? Or yeah. whomever's doing it. He can tweet and say certain things. Speaking of old white men who can tweet certain things and get away with it, guy south of the border can do that all the time all the and he time, does it man. all the whatever time whatever kind of wild he wants to tweet yeah whatever he wants and if somebody else were of a darker complexion were to do so it's it's a massive issue and it's it's unfortunate and it sucks and there's also some of the uh the words and the slang that get appropriated oh my gosh and i hate that because it's like now i have to find new words to describe the things i like to describe in a funny way for example the word woke oh remember how the word woke it was kind of a joke when we use that Keep your third eye woke, bro. Yeah. And you know where that came from was like the way that we used to make fun of hoteps and, and black Israelites mm-hmm. um, because they believe that your pineal gland, which is like a gland in your brain located like just underneath your forehead, they believe that the pineal gland is purposely calcified because over time that your pineal gland does become calcified. They believe that, you know, the fluoride in your water and the nitrites in the food that you eat and the chemicals in the air the government is purposely trying to calcify your pineal gland, which is a gland that like gives you a spiritual awareness in order to keep us docile. That's where the phrase keep your third eye woke comes from. Mm-hmm. And then we use it as a sort of a funny way to say like, hey, listen, like don't believe ex- everything that you hear. Yeah, stay woke. Yeah, there's, a, there's an agenda to everything. Stay woke. And I don't know exactly know where this happened along the way, but white people got a hold of the word woke and now it's a complete pejorative. So anytime that you hear a white person use the word woke, what they're basically saying is, you care about a thing that I don't feel that I should have to care about, but because you care about it, you're just too politically correct for me, and I don't care what you think. You hit the nail on the head. To be woke, I think it is important. You need to be aware of what's going on, especially if you were in a position of social economic status and power. Yeah. But now it's it's almost like a joke, right? It's like, haha, yeah. you're woke. Yeah, right. You're just yeah. politically correct, and you're just a, a snobby liberal or whatever the case is. You know, and I, and I hate that that's happened. But I'm it's not the most good. woke person out there, sure. but like, whenever a white person says the word woke, I know something yeah. racist is definitely mm. gonna follow. I got black friends, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But like, what does that mean about our resilience? Like, if we're talking about the fact white people can get away with certain things. I think it's different if we're talking about something that they normally do versus something that's ours. I mean, okay, like, should so we have to accept that. Do we have a choice? I mean, I'd, I'd throw that back. Do we have a choice but to accept it? I mean, I, I know that sounds almost defeatist to say, but we could also complain about it on a podcast. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <too>. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I don't think we should have to accept it. No, absolutely not. I think we need to stand up and we need to fight and we need to say, you know what? No, no, this is ours and we need to mm. take ownership of it. Right. We just have to be strategic in how we go about fighting it because we know that anytime we fight for anything, we get labeled as being these angry, you know, disorganized, just frustrated people. And it's frustrating that that is the perception and then we don't get taken as seriously. And as you mentioned before, it's almost like we need a white ally or people feel like we need a white ally to then take our causes seriously. I mean, allies are there to break things down to each other and explain things to each other, but we end up extending the arm to them. Are we giving them our culture? Are we letting them borrow our culture? Are we giving them information? I think it's probably a little bit of both, right? I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with extending a hand and saying, listen, uh, if you want to educate yourself, let me help you with that. But unfortunately, a lot of the time, especially when you think of the mainstream, uh, I'm going to use some strange examples. It takes like a Rosie O'Donnell. It takes some of these other uh, white celebrities who have come out and speak about social progressive issues. Ones. Progressive ones, right? It takes some of them for people to really start to pay attention. Um, Alyssa Milano is somebody who's very big on the Me Too movement, which was started by, you know, a black woman, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not until... 
one of them speak out, people really start to take us seriously. I think that's unfortunate, and I think that sucks. Well, and the founder, Tarana Burke, has basically said that she feels like where the movement has gone has kind of lost its way. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Another one that I wanted to talk about was... Uh, Man, okay, fine, whatever. I'm just going to say the word. Big dick energy. Oh, my. <laughs> and that was, that was your friend, Mel, Kyrell Grant, who came up with the phrase. What had happened was, after Anthony Bourdain passed, the slate writer Nicole Cliff made a joke that we all, we're all thinking it, so I'm just going to say it. He could have gotten it. Like, and then a, a bunch of women on Twitter were basically saying, like, yes, I would definitely f- Anthony Bourdain if I had the chance. So Kyrell Grant, she tweets, we're talking about how Anthony Bourdain had big dick energy, which is what he would have wanted. Which was absolutely hilarious at the time. And then what happened was the phrase big dick energy took off. Everybody started saying it. Yeah, and she wasn't really credited. She wasn't credited not paid at for all. her work, which and often happens to black women. How could she have gotten paid for the work? Well, because people started putting the word big dick energy on t-shirts and selling promotional items that said big dick energy. Yeah. She didn't get paid off of none of that. And she wrote an article for, uh, for Broadly basically talking about how we will come up with things and then it will take off into the stratosphere then other people benefit from it. Um, I think of Fleek. Remember that? On Fleek. Yeah, yeah on Fleek. the girl made a video. Remember Peaches Monroe? Yeah. Yeah, that, that young black girl, she used... Oh, okay. Let me go and find this video too. Hang on one second. We in this finna get crunk. Abraz on Fleek. The <laughs> 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 and then that, um, what's that that pop star? She ended up taking it. The girl who was cussing out her mom on Dr. Phil. Oh, bad oh, Bobby. Bad, bad, yeah. she, she stole it. Danielle Brigoli. It's another cultural appropriator. What well, she she took was like a, a complete parody of... Well, what, that's, what it, that's what ends up happening. That's why I think that it's dangerous. And yeah. I think that we should, we we have to be careful about saying that it's not harmful because they're basically taking a care of what they think is a character of us and performing it and then taking it off after. And they tend to use that to, like, show themselves as being rebellious. Or of course. Look at Kylie behaved. Jenner. Yeah. But the whole on fleek thing, like, that that actually was a complete joke to me because I remember I saw a tweet from JetBlue. <laughs> and it was just, it was a picture of their, it was a tweet with a picture of a JetBlue airplane or a series of JetBlue airplanes. And the tweet said, fleet on fleek. Oh. Because there's always a way for people to make money off of it. And it's often not us. I always say that, uh... People love black culture, just not black people. People, right. right? But I now have to find the new phrase instead of washed. I can't use the word washed anymore because <laughs> old white dudes found out about it. And they're calling themselves washed. They're calling it. How are, it means <laughs> you're washed up or washed out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, for me. Or you're I, or tired. Like, or, you know, washed could apply to, you know, what the Warriors did to Knicks in the fourth quarter of oh, that game. Man, you didn't have to go there. Kevin Damn. Durant dropped 25 points in the fourth quarter. That is how you wash a team. That's but true. but I can't use the phrase anymore because it's just too associated with white dudes. Really? I, I don't, don't know if I agree with that. Really? I think you I I think washed just for that term. I yeah. think you can use it and just continue to use it and not have anything to do with the white dude. For me, I don't think of a white dude when I think of the term washed. I actually think of it as a joke, quite frankly. Yeah. I like saying I'm washed. I tweet out that I'm washed <laughs> almost all the time. Like I'll say, "Man, I got up this morning, Went to make myself some eggs. Didn't even eat that. I'm washed. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'll say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, um, you know, I, I love making plans with my friends for a Saturday night so I can go ahead and cancel them. Yes. Because I'm washed. You're washed. Yeah. No? Take ownership like, of it. My just had children partner went out to this party. Like, it was, it was like club event like we used to go to in our 20s. I couldn't make it. I was too tired. 
I couldn't even go on and enjoy my friend's birthday. I am, I am washed. washed the hell out. Yeah, I'm looking at you. I'm just saying, <laughs> you washed for that. Yeah, you seen these gray hairs coming out in my beard? Yeah, what about when people found out what ratchet meant? Oh, and then oh people like Miley Cyrus oh. based her career off on it when she wanted to be. Oh, a I bad have the girl. I have the receipts on that right? one. Mm. Do we remember that video that came out? These two guys recorded just this funny song in their living room called "She Ratchet." Do you remember that? Yeah, I have it here. Hang on a second. OMG, what does she have on? Anyway, that goes. That's hard. That song <laughs> still yeah, slaps. And she performed this ratchet identity, but when she was ready to have a different career or when she got the money to monetize blackness, she turned around and changed her image. And she can do so. And she, right. yeah, exactly. She changed her image for a minute. Because remember, Justin like, Bieber did it too. It was like two years ago that Miley Cyrus found her Caucasian piece. And she was, like, taking pictures in, like, a meadow with lilies and stuff, yeah. and her hair was down, and I'm pretty yeah. sure she had flowers in her hair. And she released an album that nobody listened to. It's the people putting on our culture and then taking it off. Justin Bieber done. did the same thing. Yeah. Justin Timberlake did the Justin same Justin Timberlake, thing. that Man of the Woods album, oh, my God. People just listen. Let, I, know, yeah. I know you being no, a radio host, garbage. Don't even have to say okay, it. Okay, could you garbage. please? Album, whole album, garbage. <laughs> don't even have to say it. Album is trash. I oh. needed, I needed that Pharrell, Justin Timberlake. You know, what I mean, not this Man of the Woods yeah. lumberjack dude that we got. Maybe this is who he really is, though. <sighs> he's got those Memphis roots. I gotta think that yeah, maybe he isn't, South. but uh, mm. he kind of no, he kind of is. Because remember, he was you know before in sync, he was kind of country. Like, he, that's just sort of what his image was. I think when he blew up with NSYNC, he became pop. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the only person, I think, that has dipped in the culture but kept the respect for the culture, Britney Spears. I'm what not mad at she I'm dip in a, the culture? Britney Spears? Whoa. Yeah, Brit- Britney Spears. Talk me through doing? that. Huh? Talk me through that. Britney in the, Spears. In the sense that, oh, she is pop, mm-hmm. right? But she has... You mean she stayed in her lane. Right. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Like She, she didn't come. She was, like, hip-hop adjacent. She wasn't, like, deep into the culture. She wasn't working with the producers. She wasn't, like, getting features from the artists and so forth. But she was... Hip hop adjacent in the sense that like everybody I knew listened to Britney Spears and she was cool. And when she lost her mind, who was out here defending her? It was us. Yeah. It was black folk defending her. Like, yeah, she's just tired of this industry. I I understand. I get it. I'm still a little butthurt about the whole I'm a slave for you song. <laughs> <laughs> still don't sit right with me. You could have found could have found a whole yeah. other word. When that song comes on in the club, everybody be silent. Yeah, I'm yeah. silent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't say it. What about the term ghetto? Well, that's well, the thing. When people say that, they pretty much mean black. But then they can be like, when they're performing it, like, oh, this is so ghetto. Mm-hmm. They well, do the same thing with Ratchet. Black people do it to ourselves too, though. That doesn't mean just because they see us doing it. I don't, it. no, no. What I'm saying is I feel like when a black person says, oh, this mm-hmm. is ghetto, I actually feel mad at them. I'm like, ghetto how? Why, why is it ghetto? I feel like mm-hmm. you're actually using your your concept of respectability politics to yeah. say that this thing is too black for this black person over here. You shouldn't be that. You shouldn't be that black in public. In front of all these white folks, I can see. Well, at least we know what the ghetto is. Yeah. uh, The ghetto is what follows the words, ooh, child. (laughs) (laughs) Last thing. What are some signs that something is about to get swag jacked? When it gets popular. When it starts to be, when people start monetizing off of it. When people start writing articles about something that, like it's something new. But that we've known about forever. Yeah, I think when you start to see like white late night comics... Uh, yeah, no, it's gone. Yeah, start using it in their monologues and things of that nature. Yeah, it's gone. That's it. If somebody has a social media profile of a respectable size and their hair is shorter than their neck, <laughs> if they have that fifty-three percent haircut, like that, I want to talk to your manager haircut. Oh, the God. moment that a uh, black slang word comes out of their mouth, I'm like, that's it. We lost it. It's over now. Game, Game over. over. Yeah. Oh my God. Any final thoughts? Stay woke. 
Shem, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. Honestly, a pleasure. So speaking of terms that are appropriated from black culture, we are now going to spill the tea. So the tea is like the real dirt. Like it's the actual, gossip. Yeah, I mean it's gossip, but it's also like substantive gossip. It's not yeah, just it's, the, it's also the facts. Slander for slander's sake. It's the facts that people generally do not want to hear spoken in an unapologetic tone of voice. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's okay. pretty good. All right. What do you got this week? So I know people have probably talked about this to death, but I want to talk about Megan Kelly mm-hmm. and her comments mm-hmm. on blackface. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess her subsequent exit from NBC, although we know she's going to be uh, presented again after being packaged again she's later. She's going to be just fine. So I'm just going to play the clip of the comment. You do get in trouble if you are a white person who puts on yes, blackface yes. on Halloween or a black person who puts on whiteface yes. for Halloween. Like, I, back when I was a kid, that was okay as long as you were dressing up as like a character. Yeah. There was a controversy on The Real Housewives of New York with Luann as she dresses Diana Ross and she made her skin look darker than it really is. And people said that that was racist. And I don't know, I felt like, who doesn't love Diana Ross? She wants to look like Diana Ross for one day. I, I don't know how like that got racist on Halloween. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. Megan Kelly knows that blackface is racist. She probably also knows that she's racist. And I think this is another situation of white people defining what racism is. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also like her entire, I guess, short career at NBC has been about presenting this racist person in a different venue. You know, it's not at Fox News. Like she was talking about Santa being white. Like she was doing very racist she things about, before this. She, she made she made a very strident point that Santa Claus is white. She made a strident point yeah. that Jesus Christ is white. Yeah. She made a very strident point that Mike Brown, uh, the uh, the young man who was murdered in Ferguson, he was no, Missouri, was um, no angel. angel yeah. The young lady, I believe her name was Dejeria Becton, who was uh, thrown across a lawn by a police officer in Florida. Yeah, she implied she did something. That she, yeah, she must have yeah. done something that, uh, like... Every time this lady has had a racial issue fall into her lap, she has chosen to be the most not human being on the face of the planet about it. Right. Here's my take on that. The reason she got hired at NBC was because they wanted her ability to draw that non-PC audience. audience. Well, I mean, they wouldn't believe that they're racist. They would say that they're not PC. But the audience that... A lot of mainstream sort of like uh, centrist and progressive, not progressive, but mainstream centrist and liberal media figures believe that they are good people deep down at heart. They just don't know issues like we do. And we need a voice to be able to speak to them. That's why they hired her was that she, she could speak to them. And they didn't believe they were getting the racism packaged into it because Megyn Kelly worked for Fox News. So this must just be an act that she's putting on to pander to Fox News viewers not realizing that this is who she was as a human being. Yes, she is actually this racist all the time. Yeah, and I think they, I think that if she, her ratings were higher, they would have worked harder to keep her. It's, it's money, right? No, like they're, they're no, just trying to make I think, money. I, I, you know, being somebody, I mean, you, you work in media as well, but being somebody who, who works in media and speaks to a lot of, you know, centrist and people who try to see things from both points of view and so forth, you would be surprised at the amount of leeway that white people who should know better will give to yeah. one another because they believe that, well, they're not really racist. Well, like they, they don't. Uh, yeah. They're just saying that because it's an act. It's 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 what sells. That's what sells the Fox News audience. But she's not like that all the time. She's a good person. But if we look at what she was saying, you know, back when I was a kid, this wasn't bad. Like when she's conjuring how, up how these old things. Is she? But she's, I think she's about forty eight. But she's conjuring up this like back in the day type rhetoric, which mm-hmm. we know where that comes from, right? Yep. 
Um, it, her language has always been incredibly dangerous, and she's always trying to present it in this palatable way. So when she apologized and she cried mm-hmm. and got a standing ovation from her though? audience, no tears, she right? was like choking up. She was choking up. Yeah, but that victimhood so role sorry. is what, you know, a lot of white women do that when they do something wrong. Mm-hmm. And she made sure that she included she's not usually a PC person. I can't even believe people are still getting away with that. <laughs> when you say you're not PC, well, like what is that? That just means you're ignoring things. That just means you don't care. When you say I'm not PC, what you are signaling to people is that you don't care what other people think. And the, no, you're saying these issues aren't important to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I'm just saying, like, whenever whenever somebody says I'm not a PC person, the thing that is about to come out of their mouth next it's is offensive. it's it's a cue to say this thing I'm about to talk about. I don't care what people who care about this thing think yeah. of me. I'm just going to say something really malicious and hurtful anyway. So, and the thing is, we don't really have a group consensus as to what PC even is. I'll give, you, um, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Donald Trump is being questioned by the press, knowing that the Democratic leadership, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, a bunch of people in the opposition leadership had not like fake bombs, but actual bombs that could have exploded in their faces mailed to them, handled by people that have nothing to do with this political stuff whatsoever. And his response when asked by the media like to, to, to denounce it, are you going to call Barack Obama? Well, I will if he wants me to. But I think we'll take a pass on that. And they asked about his rhetoric, and he says, well, I think I have been toning down my rhetoric. I could tone it up a little bit. The fact that nobody said anything, they just let him say that, that is yeah. PC. The fact that um, a guest goes on MSNBC and says, you know, we have to tone down this whole political violence thing, and then equates bombs being mailed to people with Mitch McConnell being yelled at in a restaurant, basically equates the two being the same thing. That, to me, is PC. Because when you when you equate the two, when you say that your speech is equivalent to this actual violence, pandering to an audience that would get upset at you mm. if you were to say, no, this is actually wrong. Like, you guys are a bunch of extremists. You're inculcating extremism. Well, You're I've radicalizing always, yeah, people. You can't say that. It's just an that. excuse. It's just an but, well, excuse. People say politically correct as a yeah. way of saying that I don't like having to tone down my language so as not to offend people that are marginalized. Yeah, and this language that start like the language of the marginalized, the language of the margins, mm-hmm. like even like, you know, sold the social justice terms that we now use. But who came up with that language? Day. PC so, came from angry conservatives. Angry conservatives used the term. They actually borrowed it from the Russians. Because they weren't allowed to say, yeah, it doesn't yeah, it, me. I mean, it came from Russia, but the, the conservatives used the term PC to describe academia, to describe this mushy yeah. left. Yeah, But... You, you know how you know that they're susceptible to PC culture as well? Let Megyn Kelly open up her mouth and talk about a woman's right to choose. Open up her mouth and talk about sexual harassment. She gets to let go from Fox News. So there is an element of PC culture to them as well. But P- we can't arrive at a consensus as to what PC is because we can't all admit that there are things that we care about and that we're sensitive about. Well, these are this because they're about our personhood and our identity. They, they think they're concepts. Like, it's just not important to them. Yeah. She's going to find her Caucasian piece. She'll be all right. My tea is actually, it's, this one's been on my mind for a little while because I've had my problems with the monk debate. Like, I don't remember who said this, but someone on Twitter described the monk debates as a monster truck rally for Toronto club cardholders, which <laughs> I thought was Ooh, perfect. That's good. Yeah, it's basically just, yeah. if you're not familiar with the monk debates, it's a debate that takes place at Roy Thompson Hall in Toronto. And, you know, they'll get anywhere between two and four guests in a room to kick around ideas. So the last one, for example, was political correctness. And they had Michael Eric Dyson and Michelle Goldberg on the pro side 
uh, be it resolved what you call political correctness, I call it progress. And on the con side, it was Stephen Fry and Jordan Peterson. Other things that they've debated were American democracy is in a crisis. They had Andrew Sullivan, who believes in the correlation between race and IQ, debating Newt Gingrich. They've had conversations on the global refugee crisis, you know, the West versus Russia. And the common denominator in all this is that there's something at stake for the people who go into the room and sit there and watch this. These, these generally very rich and very white people, there's something at stake in the debate. This is not just like an open forum for debate. This is basically rich people sitting there and watching their own biases be confirmed. And I want to preface this by saying that by the time you hear this episode, the monk debates will have happened. So however it turns out, I have no idea. But I don't want to make a point about the monk debates themselves. I want to talk about the people who consistently try to tell people of color how we're supposed to conduct conversations on white supremacy because I'm sick of it. To understand why... The Monk debates are so bad. You have to understand who Peter Monk was himself. Peter Monk was the former um, owner and, and chairman of Barrick Gold. Barrick, in my opinion, being one of the most environmentally and humanitarily destructive forces on this entire planet. Peter Monk was the person who, you know, in a meeting with shareholders, talked about one of the mines that was being operated uh, by Barrick and previously by a different company in Papua New Guinea. And the problem was that security forces at that mine were raping villagers. And his answer what? to that, yeah, and his Wait. answers, the human, there's a, there's a report by the Human Rights Commission on how bad the, the right. security practices were at this mine. And Monk's answer to that was, well, gang rape is a cultural habit. You can't say that Excuse because me? it's, yeah, great. gang rape is a cultural habit is what he said about the security forces at his mine raping villagers. Oh, so he's like a backwards anthropologist. Pretty much. Peter Monk gave a $5 million donation to the Fraser Institute, one of the most neoliberal, right-leaning think tanks in this country, and basically created like his own school of thought there. Okay. He, his money uh, created the Aurea Foundation, which hosts the Monk debates at the University of Toronto. So this is the context in which these debates happen. Wow. It's always a conversation by rich neoliberals discussing how it is that we should remove money and resources from the broader society Keep well, rich people fat and happy, starve the poor and turn them against one well, another. That's the way doing, I see it. He's just a capitalist. But I think the reason I'm surprised is that I've been to one monk debate. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But I went there to see a person of color and then I just never went again. So I have no idea of this Why subculture. Why would you ever go back? Because it was, he was excellent, the person I went to see. But mm-hmm. like, I didn't know all this, so I'm glad I do. No, and I, I've been to a couple. I will probably never go again. Okay, so let me get around to it. Steve Bannon who was Donald Trump's sort of the uh, conductor behind the rise of the Trump campaign. He's the, the former owner of Breitbart News. I don't want to talk too much about him because I, really, I, I hate the dude and I think he doesn't need much of a platform. But he was denied a platform by The New Yorker. They were going to invite him in for a talk. Uh, there was a huge brouhaha about it. Like a bunch of the guests were like, we're not going to share the same stage. We're not going to be in the same room. Right. He was disinvited. It's been only a few days since possibly the worst anti-Semitic violence that's ever happened in America. That, that is the Tree of Life uh, shooting. Like somebody broke into this, the synagogue, killed 11 people and injured more. It was horrifying. It was, I, it, it was horrifying to me because it was basically a, a bris, a naming ceremony for, for newborn babies. It really hit me because I dedicated my children at a black church. And the thought that continuously goes through my mind when I go into black institutions, including a black church, This is somewhere that if a white supremacist got it in their head that they wanted to hurt the community, and they've done this 
so cowardly, like just the vulnerability of worship. Because they know that our doors are always open. Come as you are. So now you have Steve Bannon, who's basically, to me, his words are the force behind what's empowering these white supremacists. For people to say that it should be up to polite society to weigh his ideas in the public sphere and decide whether or not they actually hold merit tells me you don't know a damn thing about how all this works. Yeah, but it also tells you that it doesn't mean that they don't see it. It means they want it. They don't care. You have to see it. White supremacy is so obvious. Well, the thing is, it's not obvious to them. The idea that we should have to expose ourselves to dialogue from white supremacists tells me that they do not understand the problem. The chair of the Monk Debates, uh, Rudyard Griffiths, said that, I'm quoting this from a CBC article, the event aims to offer a neutral public forum to discuss controversial issues. And he says, we believe we are providing a public service by allowing their ideas to be vigorously contested and letting the public draw their own conclusions from the debate. Well, what do you think happens after the debate is over? Do you think that if David Frum debates Steve Bannon on stage, and let's say that, you know, according to the terms of the debate, David Frum wins this debate, do you think that after Steve Bannon is allowed to say what he says, everybody in their logical minds who's heard this says, wow, David Frum did really good. That Steve Bannon is a bad dude. I'm never going to hear what anything he ever has to say again. That's not how that works. All he has to do is get a large enough platform to seed ideas among enough disaffected people that they will then take it upon themselves to commit violent acts against people of color. That is how white supremacists operate. They want a larger platform. So for you to sit there and tell us, people in the community who are actually affected by this violence, they come into our churches. They come into our community centers. They come into our places of worship. They'll stop us in the street. They will kill us on, 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 in public places and on subway trains. You'll do, you all do not know how this works, and you're trying to tell us how to stop white supremacy. You've never learned yourself because it doesn't affect you. I'm just I'm sick and tired of trying to have this conversation with people who are supposed to be smart, who are supposed to be the intellectual elites of Toronto, and to me just come across as like tapeworms and parasites in this conversation <laughs> because they drag it down. They rob us of our time, our energy, our bodies, and our lives. And I'm telling you, anybody that goes into that room to hear Steve Bannon have a conversation or supposedly be destroyed by David Frum, you are enabling this exact same problem that's robbing us of our lives. You in the audience, yeah, you who bought the ticket and are going to sit there and listen to this debate, you're as much a part of the problem as this guy up on stage who you want to see defeated in debate. You all are of the same piece. You don't care about us. And that's it. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening and shout out to Frequency Network for blowing up the spot. Thank you to Shem, our amazing guest, and our producer, Ryan Clark. Thanks also to our music producer, Black Orchid. Listen to us on Apple, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye.